as we read. I'm actually going to begin at verse 21. I'm going to read through verse 24. This is God's word from Ephesians chapter 5. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Let's pray together. Father, this is um, your word, and we know it is good for us. We uh, thank you that you speak to us clearly and plainly, and yet this is a a word that is um, not popular in our culture. It may grate on our ears, but we do uh, want to submit ourselves to it, and so we pray that you would give us your grace to understand this as we ought. Um, Give me the words to speak clearly and boldly with truth and grace that you might build us up and that we might glorify you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I think we could easily say that everyone who enters into marriage desires to be in a happy marriage. And there's no shortage of advice available for how to pursue such a happy marriage. Uh, This week I searched the internet how to have a happy marriage, and as you can imagine, there was lots of advice, some of it helpful, all of it intending to be practical. You know, at the top of the list was, or most lists was something with respect to communication. For those of us who are married, understand that communication is an important bedrock Good communication, honest communication is important. Uh, Another part of it was being positive, either expressing thankfulness, uh, affirming the positive, encouraging, celebrating good things together. Uh, And as you might also imagine, uh, one of the things that was a common recurring theme had to do with how we spend our time, either um, enjoying time together, finding ways to Uh, go on dates together, doing new and exciting things together, or just the opposite, um, figuring out how to set boundaries where this person doesn't become, you know, almost an idolatrous relationship or that we have time for ourselves or other friends. And it can be helpful to think through some of those things, but I think the underlying drive or the underlying goal that all these bits of advice are pointing us to is we're, we're longing for intimacy. Intimacy. And I don't mean physical intimacy. I, that's, I would say, an aspect of the overall realm of intimacy with our spouse. But I mean knowing the other person and being known, seeing them and being seen, and loving and being loved. And um, a fundamental bedrock, a non-negotiable to intimacy is unity or oneness. And I think we innately long for this intimacy, this unity uh, with our spouse because we were created for it. We were created for intimacy and unity with our God and even in the most fundamental relationship that God has created, the marriage relationship. And yet our experiences 
uh, altogether different from that, isn't it? Um, but the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ came to redeem us and to reconcile us to God and to restore that intimacy, that oneness with himself, and, as we might expect, to bring reconciliation and redemption in the context of our relationships, even this marriage relationship. And that comes as we submit to the order that God has established for us in creation. And so as we come to the end of Ephesians chapter 5, this week and next, what we'll see is that that is where Paul is going, that God, that, that God is redeeming marriage through his people as he works in us by his spirit and, and calls us to submit to his glorious design for husband and wife. And next week we'll look at husbands. This week we focus on wives, and the key point is wives are called to submit to their husbands as the church submits to Christ. So a little bit of background. We read from Genesis chapter 2, and if we were, think back to Genesis chapter 2, man was created in perfect intimacy and unity with God. From the very beginning, there was peace, and it was, it was beautiful. And God, God's plan was that man would share that intimacy and that union with another person, another being, another creature that was like Adam and yet different. Um, and the, the way that God brought about this, this communion, this relationship, immediately demonstrated the necessity and the importance of unity. Because if you think back to what we read, the woman was created out of man, not from the dust like Adam was, but out of man from the same substance. And she was created for the man to complete the man, but she was created as another being, something different. And immediately having created the woman, God joined them together. So even she shares a commonality with him, and yet she's different, and yet he, God joins them together. And they were perfectly united, perfectly intimate. They were one in body. They were one in spirit and in purpose and in glory. And the man was, to, was given to this woman as her head to love her to serve her, to care for her. And the woman was given to the man to complete him, to be his helper, to be his crown. And they, the, the intimacy was so complete that Genesis says that they were naked and unashamed, not just seen, but appreciated and free and at peace. They were known, they were seen, they were complete, they were happy. And yet Genesis chapter 3 comes after Genesis chapter 2. And if you remember Genesis chapter 3, that's one of the darkest moments in all of Scripture because that's the moment where man rebels against God and sin enters the world. And what happens there is telling. 
to marriage because the woman seemingly unilaterally, unilaterally is deceived by the serpent and makes this decision to take the fruit and eat the fruit, and she gives it to her husband. And her husband, rather than protecting her from the attacks of the evil one, listens to his wife rather than listening to the word of the Lord, takes the fruit, eats it, and in so doing, plunges all of humanity into sin. And what's telling is immediately what happens is disunity and separation from God and disunity and separation within the marriage relationship. They became ashamed and they hid. And the, 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 the beauty of rejoicing of this relationship now became blame-shifting in uh, the response to how it happened. And there um, the, the joy of this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh became the name that woman that you gave me. And there became disunity and loneliness and strife and divorce entered in in that very moment of Genesis chapter 3. But the, the good news is that we know that that's not the end of, the, of God's word. And as we've been going through the book of Ephesians... The common theme that we have seen is this glorious theme of our union with Christ. That the Lord, that out of God's love, he sent his son to join, to seek after his church, and to be joined with her, and that we have union with him. He is reconciling that relationship that was broken at the beginning and giving us union. And union invites unity. And union invites intimacy with God. And what we ought to expect, based upon the pattern of Genesis 2 and 3, is that if there's a reconciliation of the relationship between the church and her Savior, then we ought to see a reconciliation in the most fundamental relationship that we are given, the marriage relationship. And that's exactly what we see. But what we'll see in this passage, but we also have seen in the book of Ephesians is this, is that God works out that reconciliation as God's people submit to his, uh, the, the model of godliness. And so that's what we see here. So whether you are married or you hope to be married soon, or you are a kid living at home and you're trying to understand why your parents relate the way that they do, this is an essential passage, these, these, this passage this week and next, are essential for us to understand what God's perfect design is for marriage. And as we look at this one for wives, we'll, it's a simple passage with profound implications. We'll look at it under three headings. First, the call to submission, then the grounds for submission, and finally, the scope of submission. But it begins with the call. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And the first thing that we need to see is the value and the worth that God immediately assigns to women. And I say this because this was an, God himself is directly addressing the women, which was entirely countercultural for this particular time. Uh, author John Stott points out that in the Jewish culture, women were not 
considered people, they were considered things. They had no legal rights. The husband could do as he willed with his wife. And for the Gentiles at that time, it was even worse. Um, the, the Gentile mindset was that the wife was to run the home, care for the legitimate children, and the husband would find his pleasure and companionship elsewhere. And God's word has, has no semblance of acceptance of that. But there is innate dignity and value and an equal footing as far as the responsibility that women have with respect to their behavior to their God. And God is addressing the wives directly, saying, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. But it's also, I think Ephesians, or Ephesus may have been a, a unique context for this particular exhortation, because if you remember, Ephesus was the home of the mother goddess Artemis, and some commentators believe that Ephesus may have been progressive with respect to women's rights at that particular time. And so it's telling that even with the shifting cultural landscapes that may have been there in Ephesus, God is still preserving that relationship and saying that wives are to submit to their own husbands as to the Lord. And so I think it's important for us to hold these two truths in tandem. Um, one is uh, to, to recognize that um, women, in God's grace, it is a glorious thing that he's, he places men and women on equal footing with respect to being ch children of God, recipients of grace in Jesus Christ, and also recipients of his commands and righteous rules. And I think when Paul in, in Galatians says, there is now therefore no distinction, there's neither male nor female, that's what he's getting at. So that we have equal access to the Father. We are all children of the living God. But at the same time, equal access does not mean absolute equality. Insofar as Paul is still referring to wives distinct from husbands, and he's still preserving an inequality of the role of wife versus the role of the husband. And so these things are held in tandem to give us a, a correct view. But to our, to our wives, understand this. This is a command that is coming direct to you from your loving Heavenly Father, the one who knows you, the one who cares for you, the one who knows exactly how he designed you, the one who has protected you every step of your life and knows what is best for you. This is from him. And the command is, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, that we talked last week, the term submit is, is a arranging of order, and this is an active command where God is saying to wives to willingly put yourself under the authority of your husband. Willingly put yourself under that authority. And, he's, and he says, do this as to the Lord. And in verse 21, it was out of reverence for Christ. It is understanding that this is from the Lord. This is obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ means willingly putting yourself under the authority of 
your husband. Now, it's important for us to remember or to recognize that submission does not mean inferiority. And authority does not mean tyranny. We often look at that we're somewhat authority adverse in our culture, but submission does not mean inferiority and authority does not mean tyranny. The Lord in his wisdom has established authority in the home, in the world, and in the church. And within the authority structures and the subordinate structures, there are different roles, but that doesn't mean that there's better roles or worse roles. They're just different. There is dignity and worth in the subordinate positions of God's established authority structure that are no less dignified than those who are in authority. We would, we would not say, if we went a little bit further in Ephesians, we would not say that children are less dignified or less, uh, have less worth than parents or workers from employers. And the same is true for wives and husbands. Simply because God has established that authority structure does not uh, mean there's a, a less worth. Um, in fact, active submission to authority is part of how God has ordered his world. It's what, and it's part of the Christian life. We are all called to submission in one, uh, one aspect of our life or another. There's nothing demeaning about that. The, in fact, the church, I mean, we, if, we'll see this in just a second, but the church is called to submit to her husband, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the church is beautiful as she submits to her husband. And if we were to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the same term of submission is ascribed to the Lord Jesus Christ in submitting to the Father. So even in the, in, in the perfect unity of the triune Godhead, co-equal Godhead, there is a functional subordination of the Son to the Father. And in so doing... There is, a, it's ascribing a beauty and a majesty to submission. There's nothing undignified about it. It, it is beautiful because it is God's order. And that's what we need to look at next is that um, we've looked at the call. Let's look at the grounds. Um, it says, submit for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. There's two um, grounds that I think we can see here. The first is the husband is the head of the wife. Um, notice it's not intentional. Um, it's not, it doesn't say wives submit um, so that your husbands will be the head. And it's not aspirational. It's not saying submit to your husbands because they should be your head. It is definitive. It is declarative. The husband is the head. Um, it is something that was established by God. It, this headship points to authority and responsibility. Um, what God is telling us is that, wives, when you entered into marriage with your husband, your heavenly father 
assigned responsibility to your husband to care for you, to, for your physical, spiritual well-being, and established him as your head. He puts you under his authority. And as we already considered, this is something that happened at creation. This is following the creation pattern that was there. The woman was created um, out of man, for the man, to complete the man. And 1 Corinthians 11, which we'll read a little bit later in our worship service today, points out that because of the way that God has done this, God has declared the husband to be the head of his wife. And so this ordering is not chauvinism. This ordering is creationism. This is ordering according to God's perfect design. And this is important because what this means, men and women, is that wives are not to submit to their husbands because men are better or smarter or wiser. We know that to be a fact just by observing that that is not always the case. It could go either way. It's also not, even though 1, Corinthians, or 1 Peter 3 talks about wives are the weaker partner, that husbands ought to care for them as the weaker partner, that is, um, that is not the reason. It's not because of size or strength. And it's not, if we read through Scripture, we know it's not because men are loved better or are more inclined to be holy or full of truth or any such thing. It is simply on the basis of God's creation ordinance in establishing this authority structure. It's because of God's good design. But there's another reason, and it's right there. It says, um, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body. So the husband-wife relationship is to be a visual metaphor for a watching world of this beautiful relationship between Christ and the church. So what that tells us is that even in creation, even before the fall, through this established relationship, God was anticipating this glorious headship of Christ on his church and implanted that structure even in the relationship that you and I see on a daily basis. And it is a relationship that was, as we live this out, it is something that has become distorted in the fall, but by, but by God's grace, as we submit ourselves to the Lord's pattern, it is one that becomes clearer and becomes redeemed for the watching world. So we consider the grounds and we consider the call, and if we, we can... We, Think about the fact that the grounds is because this is God's creative order um, and this is what we're called to, then the scope should be obvious. Uh, Paul says, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. In everything is the scope. It is comprehensive in every scope of life. It's as if the... Our father is looking at his daughters and saying, recognize how I have done this. Recognize what I've given to you. I've given to you your husband as your head. Do not rebel. 
but submit in everything. It is a wholesale giving yourself to your husband, a total surrender as the church is called to do to Christ, a surrender of um, a conforming of your goals, your ways, your strategies of life. It is letting your husband lead, willingly letting him lead you in the context of your life. So ladies, um, I hope you can see the connection to unity and oneness, how instrumental you are in promoting, cultivating, and nurturing that unity in your marriage. Because your God is saying that he has given you your husband to lead you, and he's asking you, he's commanding you to submit and to follow him. And obviously the rub is this. Yes, uh, he's created us for oneness, but we're two different people. Husband and wife are two different people, which means we got two different minds, two different hearts, two different sets of priorities, two different uh, sets of goals. And we can be honest, your husband is going to lead you in directions in which you disagree and in directions that you think are unwise. But unity only comes through a like-mindedness and a common set of goals. And when you resist your husband's leadership, when you fight against it, when you choose to go a different direction, you are creating disunity and separating what was joined together. But remember, the, the wife was given to the husband to be his helper, his completion, and Proverbs says to be his crown. And so he is better with you than without you. Um, it's important for us to, to point out that submission does not mean blind submission. The point of the submission is this, that is recognizing the authority that God has established and putting yourself under that authority. How it looks in your marriage versus another marriage is, I will call it a management decision. A management decision. And here's what I mean. Uh, for those of us who have been in the working world, understand that there are different kinds of management styles. Some are more heavy-handed. Some are more working together and things like that. First um, Timothy 3, when it's talking about the, the qualifications for elders and deacons, says that an elder ought to manage his household well. A, 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 the man is called to, to be a manager. Now, there is nowhere in Scripture where we'd see specific uh, list of directions as far as who does what within the, the marriage relationship? Who cooks? Who cleans? Who does the finances? Who changes the diapers? Who teaches the kids? Um, they're big, uh, how you make decisions. Is it, a, is it a collaborative type of thing? Is it uh, everything needs to be run by the husband? Is it um, you have separated areas of oversight and you operate autonomously? Uh, strategic decisions about how you spend your money, how you spend your time. Um, your priorities of life. There, there's no hard and fast, this is the way that you must do that. 
that would make all marriages look identical. It is a management decision, and there is liberty. And yet at the same time, husbands, we have to make clear that you can, that the Lord has set you as the head. And so he has given you responsibility. You can delegate work and labor and decision-making, but you cannot delegate responsibility. The Lord is holding you accountable for your wife and for your children. And um, we can see that in a couple of different ways in Scripture. Probably the clearest way is in with respect to parenting. In our culture, probably in biblical culture as well, expected that uh, Mothers would be instrumental in caring for kids for good reason. Um, and when it comes to the nurture and discipline of a child, a mother certainly should be involved in that process. And yet the exhortations to parents in Scripture are not given to parents in tandem, but given to fathers. It is the fathers that are responsible for these things. And we'll, we'll see that in a couple of weeks when we get to that passage. But also, if we go back to Genesis chapter 2 and 3, the command to not eat from the tree was given to Adam before Eve was even created. It was, it was a command given to him to uphold. And even in Genesis chapter 3, when the fall happens... Remember, Eve is deceived, and she takes the fruit, and she eats it. But it's not until Adam eats the fruit that all mankind is plunged into darkness. It was Adam that was the representative head for his people. And so we see these pictures that the husband is the head in these aspects, which wives, this is why it's so important we understand this concept of submission because if your husband is called to lead and you are doing things a different way, there is a confusion and conflict and division. But husbands ought not be tyrants or dictators. They should not. And we'll really dig into this next week in the exhortation that Paul gives that husbands love your wives. He doesn't say husbands control your wives or take control of your wives, but husbands love your wives. Remember, husbands, your wife was given to you to be your helper, to be your completion. We need, as men, we need to avoid the temptation to feel threatened by our wives seeking to help us in our leadership. We would be wise to recognize that our wise and loving God has given wisdom to this woman who is there to help us so that we can live wisely. And we ought to cultivate those things. But wives, um, be careful. Be careful with this um, because Again, there will be times where your husband makes bad decisions and is wrong and may even be foolish. And the Lord knows this. And you might see this, and you might be absolutely right. You might be absolutely right. But here's the thing. Submission cannot be 
results-driven. It cannot. You can't penalize your husband when he makes a bad decision, and you can't use that as justification to not submit. Submission is trust-driven. And while I hope you have some amount of trust in your husband or fiancé or boyfriend or whatever, they're not the bedrock of your trust. The bedrock of your trust has to be the trustworthiness of your heavenly Father, the one who knows you and in his wisdom has given to you this man to lead you and care for you. Um, this is what ought to root uh, your trust and your submission, the goodness of your God who has promised that whatever happens is for your good and for his glory. If your husband is lacking in wisdom, pray for him. Pray for him that he would have wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. Wives, pray for your husbands. And if your husband, if your husband is wise, pray for him that he would have more wisdom. Because as he grows in wisdom, it will benefit you. You will grow together. Use your wisdom to wisely uh, benefit him. You, as we read in 1 Peter 3, you don't know how your gentle wisdom, encouragement, might be a means that the Lord uses to build wisdom in your husband. But you have to remember that submission cannot be conditional. With one exception, it's obvious that um, when he says, as the church submits to Christ, what is not being exhorted is that wives must not submit to their husbands in sin. Wives are called to submit to their husbands as to the Lord, as the church submits to Christ. Christ delivers us from sin, not into sin. Um, how you navigate that is... Um, it requires wisdom and gentleness, but we are not to submit to sin. Um, and and just a one one practical application when when Paul says, "As the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to hus their husbands." Um, perhaps it would be a helpful exercise to go back through Ephesians or the other writings of Paul to consider what does Paul have in mind when he says how the church submits to Christ and, and see that as a pattern for what your submission ought to look like. And there's two um, that I found in Ephesians chapter 5 that can be helpful. Paul says that um, we, the church ought to discern what is pleasing to the Lord and that we would understand what the will of the Lord is. So if we take that and by analogy apply it to our marriages, then wives, maybe that's a good fundamental premise for submission is trying to discern what is pleasing to your husband, trying to understand what his will is, try to get inside his head to say, where do you want to take us? And then figure out how you can submit to it and support him and help him in that so that together you might pursue that common goal. And hopefully you see that once you submit to his will, you will become more aligned in understanding, more aligned in communication, more aligned in love, more aligned in unity. 
You were instrumental in that aspect. Uh, husbands, obviously, this shines a huge bright spotlight on our responsibility to love and care for and lead our wives in a godly way. And we will get to that next week um, in more detail. But I would encourage you to be in prayer about that, uh, be praying and considering about that even now. The uh, Lord has laid that burden on your shoulders, and it is not a light one. But beloved, the, the greatest news in this passage is, is hidden right there in plain sight. We can get so focused on wives and husbands that we can miss the glorious news, and that is this, that the Lord Jesus Christ has pursued after us to be intimate with us, to have one oneness with us, and he calls us to submit ourselves to him. And by submitting to him, we grow in his likeness. We grow in our understanding of his will. We understand what's pleasing to him. We grow in our love and our intimacy and our joy in the union that we have in Jesus Christ. Our hope, beloved, is not that we would be able to engineer or work hard enough to have God-glorifying marriages, our hope is rooted in the fact that our perfect husband, Jesus Christ, has sought after us to redeem us for himself. And in our human relationships, we have glimpses of that glory um, that we get to enjoy. The book of Ruth, uh, the beginning of the book of Ruth, I think has a beautiful picture of submission of what, what God has in mind. It's, it's not actually between a husband and a wife, but it's between the woman Ruth and her mother-in-law. If you remember, Ruth was a Moabitess, and she was married to an Israelite man, and the Israelite man died, and Naomi, her mother-in-law, had uh, Ruth and her other sister-in-law, and Naomi was encouraging these young women to go back to Moab. Go back to your people. Go back to your your gods. Go back and do what you're going to do. And one of the, the sisters did, but Ruth said, no. She said, I'm not going to go. And Naomi said, I have nothing to give to you. I have nothing to give to you. Go back. And Ruth said this, and she said, she said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Beloved, I think that is a beautiful picture of what godly submission looks like. Ruth clung to her husband, and that word for clinging is that same word in Genesis chapter 2, where it says a man will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, cleave together. That picture of submission is, I am with you heart and soul. Where you go, I am going with you. May nothing separate me um, except for death. I am with you to the end. And beloved, that is, that's the glory of the gospel, though. That our Lord Jesus Christ has come he sought after us, and by his spirit, we cling to him with all of our might, and that 
We are his and he is ours. We are with him to the end, to all eternity. Praise be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we do delight to have marriages that are not just happy but are glorifying to you. And Father, so often we get in the way of that with our our sin, our idols, our distractions. And Father, I thank you that you've given us the spirit of your son, Jesus Christ, to make us whole and to redeem us. Would you, would you work these things in our hearts that we might glorify you and we might be blessed. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.